This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I've wanted to have this man on for a while. I've been, uh, I guess, a fan and a studier of his for a very long time. I told him this when we were off camera. Uh, he's achieved things in his career and in his life that very, very few leaders have achieved. The more I've been around the sports world, everyone, I have to tell you, these top-level collegiate coaches, particularly in college baseball, basketball, and football that I've been around, are not just some of the great coaches that I've been around. They're some of the great leaders in any enterprise that I've been around, in any enterprise, business, politics, or otherwise, to lead these elite programs and to do it in a way that they do it consistently takes a very unique leader. And this man right here is no exception to that rule. He is the University of Connecticut's head basketball coach. They happen to be the 2023 national champs. And his name is Dan Hurley. Dan, it's really an honor to have you here today, brother. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Ed, man, it's awesome to be on. And, and uh, your voice is real familiar. You know, every morning I kind of start the day working out. But I'm used to hearing your voice on like speed and a quarter. You know, yeah, right. I'm, you know, when I'm trying to maximize my time uh, you know, in the morning when I'm on the Peloton or, or working out. But it's a it's an honor to be on here, man. Oh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, when I meet people in person, I go, one, I thought you'd be taller. And two, I thought you talked a little bit faster. And I'm like, the latter is because of the speed at which you listen to my podcast, probably. So, and I'd be sick of me too. I'd speed it up as well. My kids are have it on like five times speed, so they're done in like two minutes. So, <laughs> so, so listen, congratulations on on the national championship, but really on your entire career. Everywhere you've gone, they were losing pretty bad before you got there, and then within a pretty short window of time, you've been able to turn things around. I wonder when you take something over like that. Um, Let's just take UConn for the, the last job that you've had. What is the first thing you start with? Is it culture? Is it the the the, the players themselves? Is there one thing you go, this is where I'm going to begin to turn something around? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, Ed, it's it's um it's it's before arrival. It's when I kind of um torture myself over whether I should make the move or not. Hmm. You know, when, when you're coaching it at, at Wagner and, and Rhode Island comes calling or, you know, when you're at Rhode Island and now it, it's a chance to go to UConn. For me, I, you know, I, I, I'm i very emotional when I with, with my work and I'm very emotional with the way that I coach and I become very attached to a place in my players. So it, it's hard for me to leave. Um, hmm. You know, so people think that all coaches, when they make moves up in – the coaching ladder that it's like an easy decision because it's more, more money and a bigger, bigger stage. But, you know, prior to taking a job, like I have to really believe in the place I'm going to that, like, I'm going to be able to do like historical success there or mm. not just kind of, you know, hold on to the job, but like do incredible things. And, uh, you know, so that goes on behind the scenes and then, uh, you know, obviously your press conference, man, you, uh, you know, when you get the stage and, and you get introduced to the fan base and to the university organization for the first time, you know, you, you've got, you've got to do a great job with that. I mean, you've got to get people excited. You've got to, uh, you know, establish a vision and an identity of who you're going to be and, you know, generate that enthusiasm because you're, you're, you're taking over for a coach or and a program that has bottomed out. Um, right. You know, so the fan base has got to be fired up. And then, um, you know, the, the one thing that I've done when I've gone into these places that I think is important 
in, in terms of your people is I, I don't um, I don't go in there and 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 get rid of get rid of any of the staff or move on from any of the players. Um, mm. You know, I, I give ample amount of time for you know for people to show value or show a commitment to to changing habits, behavior. Um, so I really evaluate things and, and not come in in a transactional way and try to show people that I'm more transformational and, and, uh, you know, that I want to work with people. Um, so I'm, I'm building a program, I think on, on a solid foundation and, and a culture of trust with anyone that survives. Now it, it becomes survival Ed, because I set a much different tone and an energy <laughs> and, mm. uh, mm. and a work rate. So I don't, not everyone's going to survive, but the people that do, um, you know, they know what I'm all about. And then you hire the best staff you can hire and make sure you get that blue chip talent. That's about the right things. But, Mm -hmm. you know, really when you get in there, man, I think it's just like establish a work, a work rate and a trust and a work ethic that's going to kind of blow people away and, and, uh, and then obviously go get some talented people. I want to know what that looks like. I was thinking when you were describing that with no criticism, anybody else, but um, in fact, this guy and I are rep by the same people, but I think a real prominent former NFL guy that's recently taken over a college football program. And he kind of just like what I've heard sort of gutted the place like initially. Right. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. And uh, when I heard that, I thought I get the standard thing. Same time. I don't know that that's fair to the kids who had already made commitments to that school and probably could have gone elsewhere at one time. So I really admire that you do it that way. What does it look like, though? So you said, I want to establish a vision. We just get a little granular. So you come in, you have your press conference. It took you a long time to decide to leave where you were because you love the kids. You built relationships with the community, the people, the boosters, I assume. But now you've moved. You've done your press conference. These kids are now used to losing, probably a standard that's not what you're going to set. So is that like an initial like, hey, here's how things are going to change? Or is it more like I'm going to show you rather than tell you? I'm just curious because a lot of people that are listening to this are entrepreneurs. They got an organization right now that's functioning at call it 60% of its capacity. They're going to listen to you today who took a team that was literally losing and take them to a national championship. You know, what, what does it look like to establish that vision and that, that work ethic, the standard, all that other stuff? Yeah. So, you know, Ed, for me, the, in terms of the, just the, the players, I think the first thing that I showed them, uh, in, in the first team meeting, you know, beyond, you know, making a commitment to them to, um, you know, to being the type of coach that can, can really develop them is, is I showed them one clip, uh, one play from, uh, the last season before I had gotten to UConn. It was, um, from the last season of the prior coach. And I think they were playing Villanova, uh, at home at the Hartford civic center here. And, um, I think on the possession, I think Villanova might have, you know, missed four shots in one possession, but got four offensive rebounds. So mm-hmm. just outworking them, mm-hmm. you know, hustling, you know, superior talent plus, you know, not giving the effort. Right. So yeah. Villanova's got better players and they're playing a thousand times harder mm-hmm. than we're playing. Um, and their ambition to win is, is far greater. So I, I showed them that play. Um, you know, and I said, that's, uh, that's going to change, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not that type of effort. It will not be tolerated. And then I showed them just one possession from, you know, my Rhode Island team. I, I didn't want to go in there and, you know, and talk about Rhode Island, this Rhode Island, that, you know, 
Because that, that's not what a, I, I think a, a potentially like a returning player wants to hear. Right? Yeah. Not the stuff that you accomplish somewhere else. So, but I showed him one clip where I think uh, our signature play for my last year at Rhodey was like a, a defensive stop. And then five different players touched the ball mm-hmm. in transition to dunk the ball without any one player on the court dribbling. So it was beautiful teamwork. It was beautiful aggression. It was beautiful, um, you know, just pace, execution. It was everything. Mm. Um, everything was on full display. So I showed the team that and uh, in that first meeting, um, a vision of how far we have to go. And then um, and then just model, man, model, model who you want everyone in the organization to be. Um, you know, first person in the building, uh, you know, last one to, to leave the building. Um, do you know your coaches too? In other words, do your coaches still see you first in the building, last to leave? Is that important with your staff as well? Or is that exclusive to the players? Or is it literally everybody around you? Well, nowadays, they they better be first. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think early on, um, you know, I've gotten a little bit smarter. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, my responsibilities at UConn are different than they were at roadie or Wagner or as a high school coach. So, um, you know, and so, so I, I look, I probably put more into, um, you know, into sleep and rest uh, within the last couple of years where I'm in pretty early, but I expect my staff to beat me in. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that I model is just everything that I believe, like, um, you know, I keep myself in great shape. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I work, I work out every day and meticulous with my diet. Uh, I'm always trying to read and learn. And, and, you know, I, I, I talk about my morning routine with my players and my staff. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, One I, observation coach I want to ask you about, um, we're talking about if someone meets me, I should be taller and talk slower. <laughs> the other thing they often say to me, and I'm noticing this with you, um, I think they're expecting an experience with like this super intense pumped up dude every single second of the day. And if I almost feel like sometimes they, they are uh, disappointed that I am keeping energy in reserve. And right when the camera went on with you today, cause I watched this dude, this is one of the most intense humans in sports that we're talking to right now. And um, it's one of the things I admire most about you yet today I find you uh, dialed down a gear or two. Um, have you learned to pace yourself like that? Is that an intentional thing? You can't be a hundred miles an hour all the time, but I imagine the way in which you delivered those two videos probably had a little bit different energy or, or, uh, volume tone, or am I wrong about that? Or are you, or is this your normal tone with the players? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, when it's time to turn it up, I think, I mean, as a leader, I could turn it up in terms of the intensity <laughs> and, uh, and the electricity. You know, I, I, I am generally like growing up, I was, uh, you know, just, I, I was always kind of like, a, um, a lot less serious than my brother, um, mm-hmm. a lot less serious than my dad. I was probably always, I don't want to say like the funny Hurley, but the Hurley probably that, you know, didn't give a, you know what, um, yeah you know, out of the group, out of the three Hurley men in sports, that was probably my deal. Um, but generally throughout the day, I mean, 
I'm pretty relaxed. I'm pretty laid back. I mean, my wife always says like her friends always ask her after we've gone to dinner, like, like he's, or says like he, he's way different than what I thought he was going to be. Right. Right. Um, Cause I save it for, you know, in between the lines, I save it for a team meeting. I really, I save it for when I come in the building and I've got to set a tone with, 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 with my people. I mean, when mm-hmm. I come in here, um, you know, my meetings are, are intense. You better have ideas. You better, you better add to conversation about players or tactics or ways that we can move this thing forward or else you're not going to be able to work for me. I mean, if you can't show up for when we're in between the lines uh, with, with the absolute maximum maximum effort, uh, if you can't show up and play every possession like you're a total nobody for me, mm. like you can't play for me. Um, mm. So, you know, what, I guess from when I pull in here, uh, you know, at, at eight until when I leave here at whatever time in the night, depending on time of year, I mean, I'm setting a tone that is hard to keep up with. Um, yeah. But when I'm not doing that business, <laughs> I'm a lot more chill and relaxed thanks to, uh, you know, meditation and want to get home to my wife and chill. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I've noticed, and by the way, if those of you that don't know, because there's probably 80% of my audience is not rabid college basketball fans, right? So those of you that don't know, his brother's Bobby Hurley, who is one of the great all-time college basketball players at Duke. I don't know, two national championships, I think, when he was there, if I'm right. Is that right? Your brother had two? Seventh pick in the draft. Seventh pick in, pick, pick in the draft. 11, Bob's probably 5'11", 155, 160. Yeah. Crazy. And had a you know an accident that happened, probably would have played a lot longer. And then his dad is one of the great at St. Anthony, one of the literally one of the great all-time high school coaches, like all-time Naismith Award winner. So he comes from this insane basketball family. And I think it's probably accurate to say that if you went back 15 years ago and said which one of these three is going to win a national championship, probably Dan would be third on that list of the three of them, right? And that's I don't I think that's even what you're acknowledging. But I think that energy thing is important. I'm thinking about it when you were talking. I didn't think I was going to ask you this, but college basketball coaches are kind of unique, like the great ones. And one of the things that's unique about them is how long they actually stay in their craft. I'm thinking about a guy like Dean Smith or Bayheim, um, Williams, you know, John Wood and all these guys. I mean, they coached a long time, right? So I got to think part of that is, to some extent, pacing your energy. And do you have an intention of doing that, by the way? Are you going to be a 78-year-old guy coaching somewhere? Do you do you think you'll still be doing this at that age? I personally, um, well, that's, I mean, that's a couple of things. I mean, I was a lunatic on the sideline, probably midway through my time at Rhodey, maybe hmm. seven, eight years ago, I'd say, where the emotion and the, and the passion was overwhelming overwhelming you know my ability to to manage the game and manage mm. the team and think clearly um so, and back then i think it, i really was kind of like out of control um mm. with officials with road crowds um you know what just it was it was too much and um i had some moments i think moments with my wife believe it or not who knows like nothing about sports huh. i went to andrea like night after like a night of a brutal loss at home at roadie and her telling me that, you know, I was embarrassing her with the way I was <laughs> with, <laughs> acting on the sidelines. So, uh, 
it's a fine line uh, between like coaching with that type of emotion and being able to, to manage it. I've grown a lot that way over the course of like the last several years. Um, mm -hmm. One of the keys to my coaching career has been like um, fired as an assistant coach at Rutgers um, looking like I'll never coach college, but then you get, you decide to become a head high school coach. Yeah. You, you, you learn your craft uh, at nine years, really experimenting a lot with, with leadership and tactics and player development. And, and then you get like a low division one job for two years, which, you know, it's a lot easier at, to win at that level than it is to beat Jay Wright. <laughs> at yeah. So like, you know, yeah. you're, you're learning your craft and you're making mistakes, but you're learning and growing and you're not under that intense spotlight. And then you go low major to mid major at roadie. And so I've been I've benefited in my career, man, from just having like to prove myself at every level. And I've had time to kind of like learn and grow and never taken a job that was, was too big for me. Hey guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making in the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours. And you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MyLet. Just go to Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T right now. And you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way. Indeed.com slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started this show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store, or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. Hmm. All right, there's stuff I've always wanted to ask a great leader. Um, Maybe you don't get asked this very often. So this might be stuff that is a little, it's in the core, but it's not asked a lot. And it's about criticism. Mm -hmm. um, not that you, how you face it. That's the second question. How you deliver it. Um, I, I'd like to ask you about that. How do you, and have you done, do you do it differently now? How do you deliver criticism to a coach, but mainly to your players? 
And because you're dealing with, we forget this. I'll watch even college basketball this day. I'm like, this, this kid's 18. He's 19 years old. And at a school like UConn, man, the pressures of boosters and crowds and arenas and, you know, family back home, depending on you. How do you deliver criticism to players and coaches? Are you cognizant of the way you do it? Do you just fly off the handle? Is it different with certain players over others? I think it's one of the most important nuances as a leader is to be able to criticize somebody in a way that causes them to grow. I, I have to tell you, this comes because I had a coach criticize me in college when I played baseball, and I'm 52 years old to this day. And um, he recently came to a speech I gave, showed up out of the blue. And I turned and gave him this big hug, and I actually started crying because he was proud of me. But actually, the reason I was crying was I have never forgotten a particular criticism he gave me that just crushed me. <laughs> and it wasn't delivered. It wasn't like, you know, lift your elbow or spread your legs out. It was personal. And to this day, I probably think about it 25 or 30 times a year. Is that nuts? So I think it's an important thing. <laughs> I think it's a real relevant question. So yeah, what's your answer to that? I would say it, um, it just, it, it starts in like recruiting when like before they even get here, you know, I, for me, I won't take a recruit at, at UConn where this is a pressure cooker. You, you, you coach here or play here, you know, you, you better have the stomach for it, um, mm. you know, because the standards are super high. You know, you have, you know, you got the five national championships with, with Coach Calhoun, one of the goats, and then, and then Kevin Ollie, and then you got Gino over there with eleven. <laughs> All right, the women's well, coach, guys, coaches women's basketball, eleven. He's got eleven. So it starts in recruiting. You know, I, I, I need them to watch a practice. Um, mm -hmm. I need them to see us. I need to see us at work. I need them to see the pace, the tempo, the competitiveness. You know, our, my entire coaching staff's attention to detail, the intensity of our work. I need them to understand the, the, that, that workload. Um, and then in recruiting, you know, we don't cheat. I mean, we don't lie to them about um, about what this is going to be. I mean, this is about you know, us, uh, us being allowed to coach them and get the most out of them. And sometimes it, it's going to hurt. It, it's going to be painful. Um, there's a reason why they say that the, the truth hurts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel like um, the way that we recruit them because of the substance with it, um, and then when they step foot on campus, the time investment, uh, all these players talk throughout college basketball. And our players are on campus 11 months a year. Mm -hmm. A couple days for Christmas, different holidays. Um, a little bit for summer, maybe a, a week here, but 11 months, our program is functioning and operating at a very intense level. I'm not out playing golf. You know, I'm not out, you know, writing a book on leadership or at my vacation home. Like I'm on campus every day that they're on campus, pushing, wow. pushing pulling, um, you know, running our program practice, you know, whatever we're doing, strength and conditioning, off the court player development, like I'm, I'm pushing uh, for them every single day that they're here. So for me, I feel like, you know, the day after a game, you know, where, where they don't perform the things that we need them to perform for us all to succeed together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those film sessions are going to be, are going to be tough. 
and I'm going to be honest about the things that you're not doing. Um, but the foundation that the relationship is built on, the time investment, um, my evidence of success at, at various levels as a coach, it just it gives me, I think, the uh, um, you know the, the the ability to to be honest, to be tough on them when I need to, mm-hmm. but then also to to celebrate them when they're when they're successful. Um, so, coach, do you? I'm curious, Dan. Not to interrupt you, but I'm curious. Do you have that kind of sensory acuity where it's been a rough film session? And you know that potentially the kid is losing his confidence. Do you have that kind of that sensory thing where you'd pull a kid in if that's happened? And I don't know, love on him, remind him of your belief in him. I just think these are things that great leaders do almost intuitively that they don't even realize that other that is the separator oftentimes is these little nuances. A guy tries to model you for example, and he's intense and he's getting in there, you know, what's about their pants about film sessions, but they miss the other thing. And I've watched you enough. I've actually watched you on the bench in a game, walk over to a kid that you'd been hard on. Uh, I watched it. And then I watched you, I watched the camera catch you walk over. You put your hands on his knees and you got in front of him. And I could tell you're like, all right, I got to make a deposit in this kid because I've made a withdrawal that maybe went a little too far. And I do think these are, you're laughing, right? So I, I hope I'm right. But so uh, is that part of the job as a as a leader is to be looking for that and noticing those little subtleties? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, listen, I played, I've been on the court mm-hmm. at, at Seton Hall as a player, you know, your, your brothers at Duke, you know, really like living the dream, right? Like, mm-hmm. like national championships, like living the fairy tale career. But at the same time, I'm at Seton Hall and I can't make a shot and I'm, mm. you know, totally broken. So I, I think I, as a game night coach, I think I, I really separate the two. Uh, on okay. game, night, game night, I look at really myself really almost as like a boxing trainer or one of these UFC corner men where, you know, I, I put my athlete through really brutal preparation and training um, up until the moment of competition. But then, you know, once you guys see us, you know, at the Anthem and Mm -hmm. when that game goes on, I feel like my job is almost to be the hype man. Interesting. You you will never see me berate a player Mm. um, on game night, Mm. halftime, you know, during a TV timeout after a bad shot. I mean, Mm. I, I am, I know that my job, like when those lights come on and it's time to perform, is to protect their confidence, enhance their confidence. Um, but then on the flip side, and I think that's kind of the genius from my dad. My dad was like a, a, a very difficult taskmaster. You know, like he was he was Mickey and Rocky, man, like on the yeah. lead to the fight. But then when he jumped in the corner on game night, you know, he built his fighter up. And I feel like... You know, kind of like hmm. that's that's the perfect role as a coach. You try to make the practices and the preparation so difficult that the game feels easier. Is that part of the slower, less intense? Um, the game is slower. You're saying and less intense. Slower. Our practices are are at a pace, at a competitiveness, uh, and at a tempo um, that is 
that not a lot of places, uh, it's almost reminds you a little bit of when you watch teams play college football now offensively in terms of yeah. like, quick and putting a tempo on the opponent. And I do all of my coaching and correcting on the lead up to the game. If I'm on the court screaming at guys about a cut they didn't make, mm-hmm. you know, or, or not getting back on defense, then I'm a shitty coach. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. that should have been cleaned up before I got to Thursday night, sold mm-hmm. out arena. Well, I, I ask that because I think I always think sports is a perfect metaphor for business or any other thing, even being a parent to some extent. And I've been fortunate to be around a few. I'd love to be around you more. I've told you that because I I do believe that these elite coaches are some of the best leaders I've ever met. And I actually compare them to guys that I know and ladies I know that have run big countries. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. These jobs, Dan's job, you guys, I want you to picture this. And by the way, I don't pretend to know all of the roles. But it's not just strategy. It's not just preparation. It's not just recruiting. It's the boosters. It's the program's brand. It's their reputation. It's the energy level. It's the families that he's involved with. It's alumni of past players that are in his life that still text him and message him and have life problems. The bigness of this job is the role of a CEO of multiple companies at any given time. And I don't think most people appreciate that when they just see the basketball roll out there and your guys make some shots, right? And, I, and you're laughing when I say it, but based on all of that, I asked you this off camera, but I thought it was a really honest answer. Are you enjoying it? And is it what you thought it would be? Like, for example, you won. I, I'm curious, you win, that moment happens. I watched you when it happened. And so there's that moment and then there's the after. Is this what you thought it would be? Is it is it as enjoyable as you thought it would be? Is it, you know what I'm asking, is it or isn't it? You might have to ask a couple of follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. I could go in a number of directions. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, I mean, that moment with uh, the the way that you feel about the group of people that you did that with, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the memories you'll have with that team, the players, the staff, right? That right there. I mean, that is like stuff that you give you goosebumps and mm-hmm. you'll see a picture or you'll get together with the group and and think about you know, the seasons, you know, and, and mm-hmm. just how hard it is to do what we did. And then the manner in which we do did it, the dom- the way we dominated. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of the other parts of it, it no. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> yeah. Really, no, man. Like, uh, I mean, that there, there becomes, uh, in a way, that overall feeling becomes now something that you're probably putting greater pressure on yourself Right. That experience was so incredible that you 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 you're dying to feel that again with another group of people and experience that whole incredible like you know mission accomplished feeling for mm. for that lot for that group. I mean for this group of men that um work so hard for it, you know. So like mm. that becomes like this almost feels like a, a like a, 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 an addiction to trying to get that feeling back almost like a, like a drug you want back um yeah. and then um you know I, I love the work man like uh, my mom yeah. my father and like our, our family and the city we grew up in was just like super blue collar and mm-hmm. like uh we're best when we're busy and working and so like there was a time period where we weren't practicing and we we're doing like a, a bunch of events and like all that, which is great. I mean, you're getting honored yeah. and White House and all these different things. But I had a couple like 
panic attacks that my wife had to kind of hey get your breathing under control because i was getting kind of tired of all that shit and i wanted to get back on the next mission so i've been a lot happier since i've been back in practice with like next year's team i feel like my mood's been better and i fell into a little valley like once we got like a week past winning it and before we've got started on this next mission i found myself in some some weird emotional places Mm -hmm. i relate to that by the way the wins in my life have uh they were as good as i thought they didn't last as long as i thought they didn't last as long and i have found that they even last short that drug analogy is pretty good like at some point the high i uh i want to go back and get it again but i enjoy the work part of it more than anything i wish i could figure that out about myself you probably could too like I actually enjoy the work more than I do the celebrating of the work after it's done. And you seem to be that exact same way to me. Do you, the the secret sauce of you, if you could brag, cause you just, I don't think it's even possible to get you to do this, but I'd like you to try. Someone said, Hey, what's the secret for you that makes your secret sauce? You've turned everywhere you went around. Um, it was not easy to do what he did in this day and age with the way recruiting works and guys leaving. It's just, it's, I think it's as difficult as it's ever been to build a consistent winner in college sports. And is there, if someone said your secret is it's your preparation, it's your work ethic, it's your energy level, it's the X's and O's, it's your ability to recruit. If someone said, what is yours? And you were willing to brag a little bit, what would it be? I, I would say the, the, the chase or, 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 or the mastery of all the things that go into being uh, being a coach, right? Like that, mm-hmm. you said it before. I mean, most people think, I mean, that this is phys ed class, you know, that it's just like, you know, hey, fellas, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is, uh, you know, it's very complex. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you have the culture of your organization that you're looking to absolutely perfect and, and you're looking for any crack of it in any behavior or any habit of all of your people on a daily basis, right? So, you know, you, you've got the cultural, you've better, you know, uh, you, your recruiting practices and your ability to attract elite talent, right? Your your ability as a coach to help your players, uh, you know, develop and, and acquire and develop new actual basketball skills. Um, you know, you're also trying to develop you know, tremendous personal habits, right? So you're you're chasing the best way to really help develop better men, to help develop better people. You know, you're you're constantly, uh, you know, trying to learn and grow as a tactical coach, right? Yeah. Offensive strategy, the defensive strategy. There's all these uh, different ways that you can attack your opponent uh, tactically during a game. You know the marketing and branding of your of your program. Are you are you creating the excitement in terms of selling tickets and and big social media presence? Um, so it's I think it's the chase, man, of becoming like the absolute best in every aspect of being a head coach. Um, and then my foundation is super strong, and I mean I, I my, my foundation starts with my faith, uh, mm. my faith in Jesus Christ, and then you know, in my foundation at home with, with my, my home team. I mean, my wife is absolutely the perfect person on planet earth for me. I was mm. incredibly fortunate to meet her at Seton hall yeah. at, at the end of my career there when I was, a, I was a mess, uh, 
or I wasn't in a great place. And that's maybe too strong, but, um, you know, and then, and my sons, Danny and Andrew, I mean, I, uh, obviously a lot of credit goes to you know, my brother and my dad and my mom in Jersey city and just that, that family as athletes, but that foundation that I have at home and my faith. So, Hey guys, you know, when I love technology and a great idea revolutionizes an old industry. And by the way, if there's an industry that needs a revolution, I think you'd agree with me, it's the healthcare industry. It's not easy to find good doctors. And by the way, good doctors that are in your area that also take your insurance. And that's why I love ZocDoc. They are revolutionizing the healthcare industry and the way you get access to doctors. ZocDoc, by the way, is Z-O-C-D-O-C. Here's who they are. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Tons of different reviews on the doctors and they're local to you. You can find out if they take your insurance. I just did it for a tear I had in my shoulder. One day later, I'm in the doctor's office getting some help, getting an order for an MRI. So go to ZocDoc.com slash and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mylet. ZocDoc.com slash mylet. If you've been listening or watching the show for a long time, you know what a big believer in NetSuite I am. I've been talking about them now for years. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors, which is why I've been using them now for five years myself. Over 37,000 other companies have as well. They've made the moves to do the math. Now you'll see profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mylet, netsuite.com slash mylet, M-Y-L-E-T-T, netsuite.com slash mylet. Like I can handle anything that comes with this job, the criticism, uh, the losing, the going through tough stretches. I mean, I am built, um, you know, to handle everything that comes with this job because of, you know, my background and my foundation. I'm impressed. I did not know that your faith was that strong, nor that you professed it. And by the way, you don't need me to be impressed with you, but I am impressed with that. Um, do you share that when you recruit? Do the kids know that as part of coming there that, hey, FYI, this is where I stand on these things? Or is that sort of, you know, found out later? No, we, um, I mean, I share, you know, the, the most important thing for me, I think um, it was probably midway through my, my Rhode Island tenure and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling emotionally. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not the best version of myself. I'm not at my maximum, uh, you know, my maximum abilities as a coach. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was maybe uh you know, conversation with, with Billy Donovan, former, you know, head coach yeah. and, and incredible coaches, one of the best coaches of my generation. You just start talking to me about like my morning routine and I had none. Um, you know, it was pancakes. It was, you know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> really? No, it was pancakes. It was maybe not eat. It was maybe, um, you know, show my toughness by starving myself. You know, it was just, you know, like just immature, 
approach mm-hmm. to like being at my absolute, you know, highest level of like human performance and mm-hmm. and highest energy and, and clarity of thought. So I, I, you know, Billy got me on like morning routine, man, and really? and you know, started by getting to bed early, prioritizing sleep as much as possible, and then um, you know, but just getting up by at least being up by six at the latest. And, you know, your prayer, uh, you know, your spiritual readings and your prayer, you know, your, your meditation practice, um, you know, for me, my journaling, you know, whether it's free writing or gratitude journaling, you know, and then I get right to an hour of, of you know, of, of hard physical training. And then, you know, boom, I'm in the office by, you know, 8, 830, I think then ready to attack the day and set a tempo and a pace and an energy and, you know, just deal with whatever comes my way when I come in the building. When you do your meditation, do you uh, focus on your breath? I'm just curious, is there anything particularly you do when you meditate? For me, it's my breath work. It's the easiest way for me to get out of my head. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I needed the guidance, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I will, you know, I will find myself, uh, I need to be reminded um, <laughs> by someone. So I use that Calm app. And, yeah. And we make sure that we get everyone in the program has like free subscription uh, to that um, or, or any meditation app that they're comfortable with. Cause I just, I believe that it's changed a lot of my career that, and that, that morning routine and that meditation time, I do it in the morning. I do it at night. Um, if I'm having trouble sleeping, I'll play one of the sleep stories or. Yeah. So do know, I. Yeah. Yeah. I use calm app every day. I'm not, I'm not here to endorse it because they don't sponsor the show, but I do use calm every day. And I got to tell you guys, um, you know, it's so amazing to me that people will listen to my show week after week and almost every elite performer at whatever they do has changed their life with their morning routine, whether that's a cold plunge or their workout, their prayer, their meditation. I'm I'm really surprised to hear that you journal and do gratitude journaling as well. I'm just surprised that, you know, a man's man coach does that because I do it too. But I have to tell you that, and then yet so many of you still have not established a consistent morning routine. And the one thing I will say, and I won't take coach's time up, but no matter what that routine is, and I mine resembles yours, is that what it does is it gives a predictability to the rest of your life. If the beginning of your day starts out willy-nilly responding to text messages and everything else, you're just sort of a reactor. You just react through your entire life. And at least if you have something you do for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours to start your day, the probability of you having some measure control over the rest of your day is increased. And I just don't know how you're going to compete in business or life against people who are routine like this when you're not. I just, I don't think you can compete against them. I'm, I'm competing against, uh, I'm competing against killers, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. the Big East Conference, which I coach in, I mean, um, it's a bunch of unbelievable coaches. Um, you know, it, it's, when you get to this level of sport, I mean, the, 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 this is the best of the best the sharpest uh in every aspect of uh i mean they're, they're ruthless they're, <laughs> they're sharp <laughs> and ruthless um you know and they have very few holes in their game and um i want to put myself to start the day uh at an advantage on on on, on people that i'm competing with that that aren't doing that that aren't mm-hmm. sharpening their tools um that that aren't um, you know, taking advantage of the ability to, you know, to to think clearer. I mean, we're in the decision-making business and a lot of the decisions that, that we've got to make that the 
that will define your career and your level of success. They've got to happen mm. so quickly. And, um, and and I always say to people too, I, I, I'd be long gone from this level of coaching um, if I didn't have these things. I mean, people see me on game night. I mean, I, you know, I've, I got thrown out of a game of one of our most important games last year. Mm. Um, I've been ejected from games twice since I've been at UConn. Um, mm. I have a, just a history of sparring with officials. Um, mm -hmm. I become the ire of most opposing teams fan base because of the energy that I coach with. Yep. I, I had our GA Ed do um, camera time this year, Fox, you know, like how mm -hmm. much more camera time am I getting than the opposing head coach? Mm. Um, just because of my antics and my energy and, and the mm. way that I, show up on game night, I was getting twice as much time. So I should have had some patches, man, some like, <laughs> right. like a race car driver or a tennis player. Yeah, right. So get yeah, get and, and, and if I wasn't doing these things to kind of calm myself and yep. me to like go beyond that line, I probably would have melted down by now, had that incident because, you know, my my engine runs high. Well, that's the thing I was just going to say, Coach, is that one of, one of the things that you have to know yourself as a human being. And if you have a propensity to run hot, which you and I both do, I run hot. So I have I don't really have to worry. Some people have to worry about something else. So if you're listening to this, it may be different. But if you're wired like the two of us to the extent that I don't have to worry about getting cranked up, I have to worry about emotional control. I have to worry about um, not letting it get away from me. I have to worry about when I'm in criticism mode of going a little bit too hard, not, not, I don't, I don't lack candor. And so you have to know yourself and what coach is saying is, and here's the other element I'm, I'm going to brag about you. If I were a kid, I want to play for a guy like you. Uh, I think more and more it is elite. He is competing against killers. If I were a kid, I want to look at what this dude's fitness looks like. What's his routine look like? What's his emotional control look like, right? What's his faith look like? What are his disciplines? I don't want to be coached by a guy that's not got that stuff together. I want to be coached by a guy that I can model, a real role model. And when I watched you the last few years, that's the number one thing that dawned upon me about you. And I'm just, I, I know you don't want a bunch of cons. I'm like, look, and I don't mean this to be criticism against your peers, but I just mean, look at him and look at that other guy. Like just visually, one of these dudes is up earlier and hitting the gym. One of these dudes is working on himself. One of these dudes models what he's telling his kids to do. When I went to, I've been to some football practices and watching uh, Dabo or uh, Coach Saban even run full freaking speed at practice themselves. They're running full speed, right? They're running full speed with the players in between the drills. Their coaches move at full speed. I'm like, I want to play for that guy. Not the guy sitting on the freaking golf cart going, go, go, go. I want that guy. And I think that's true in business, everybody listening to. I, I want that as a dad. I'm not telling my kids to work hard. They see me up before them. They see me in the office working when they've gone to bed. And coach is nodding if you're if you're on audio. But that's a big damn deal to me. I think it probably is for you. I feel like I can demand as much out of you. Maybe you feel this way, Dan, because I'm demanding it out of me. Yeah. I mean, they when I come in here in the morning, you know, I come in. Uh, I come in with my shirt wet, you know, like I, yeah. when I'm coming in here, I'm coming in from, from having just worked out at home, just driving into the facility. 
Uh, and now subconsciously, I, that's not planned. I'm sure subconsciously, somewhere in the back of my mind, I know I want to send some mm -hmm. type of message that way, but um, it, it's not contrived. I've just always have felt in terms of just um, the, the, the credibility uh, of the culture that you're trying to build, man. And 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 it's not like I'm, I'm just trying to like not be a hypocrite and like, I'm just vain and trying to like impress right. people. You know, the fact that like I've got these behaviors and practices in 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 place in my life embedded so that I'm at my very best. Like you know, I've got a great marriage and and a great connection with my with my children. Right. right? Like all these things are making me just a more powerful coach. Um and people can, people can, your people can feel that from you. I mean, if you're off the court, personal life is a yeah. mess as a leader and your personal habits, maybe you, you work out a little bit, but you're not reading and learning and growing your mind and, and, and studying film about different tactical things. Like if you're not modeling, doing absolute everything that you could possibly be to be an absolute elite performer, both for yourself internally to like be at your best, have incredible confidence. I mean, I don't, I'm nervous as shit up until, um, up until the anthem, you know, like, and, and I'm got, the only thing that you get confidence from is preparation. I mean, it, everything, I mean, the mantras are great. And like, if your preparation wasn't absolutely, uh, top, top, top shelf confidence is going to not be great, but I, I, I get nervous as shit before the game. And, you know, I'd say that that's more modeling from my dad. I mean, I, mm -hmm. me and my brother would watch our dad lose a high school game now and he wouldn't lose many of them. I mean, mm -hmm. my dad is one of the greatest coaches in any, uh, at any level. If my dad decided to do the college, the, the, the coaching career thing, he would have went, he would have blown through college and been an MBA mm -hmm. as coach K or Phil Jackson or any of the goat coaches that in, in basketball, I'm just, I'm just telling you, ask anyone that's been around them and watched them work. Um, he was so far ahead of his time, but, and he would lose a game and, and he wouldn't go to work the next day. I mean, he couldn't get out of bed the next day. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there was a level of, almost shame that that he was broadcasting that I think me and my brother have kind of pulled into everything we do especially basketball wise mm -hmm. in, in how we look at those like competitions and how much of our identity is wrapped up in in what's going on in our basketball life you love to compete I just say one thing to you about that by the way, that I said that I'd come on his dad to come on my radar is when his brother was playing at Duke and they did a story on his dad. And this was back then. I don't know when this was. It was, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, they had said at that time about your dad back then that this guy could easily be winning a national championship as a division one coach if he chose to and on to the NBA. I think like in leadership, everybody, one thing that Dan does is that there's motivational people and you should be motivational. Coach has that box checked. There's inspirational, which is different. That's to reach people in spirit. But nowadays, if you're going to be a great leader, I think you have to have aspirational qualities to you. 
where people aspire to be a little bit more like you. And that's something a lot of coaches, I think, take for granted. Like, I'll be motivational, I'll be inspirational. But in terms of you aspiring to be like me, I checked that box 20 years ago. That's for you young guys. The thing I admire about you, I think in 10 years when I come back, this guy's going to be fit. He's going to have a more disciplined routine. He's going to be still preparing like crazy. And I think if you're going to get to the top of the top against these killers and whatever you do, there's got to be an aspirational quality because as a leader, the best stuff is caught, not taught. And that's what you got from your dad. You caught it. It wasn't just taught. He didn't sit you down and say all these things. I'm sure he did some of them, but you just caught them. You saw them. And that's one of the things I admire. I want to give people hope about themselves because they're listening to this like, oh, wow, these two guys, routines, working out, cold this, meditations, you know, come into work sweaty, get up early, get in there by eight. I'm going to give you guys a little hope. If you don't mind telling them, the night before, I think it was the national championship game where you end up winning, you end up in a conversation with PJ Carlissimo, who was your coach. And you kind of wanted to get something off your chest, if I felt like in that conversation, um, that you've been carrying for a long time. By the way, I still carry my version of that myself. But why don't you tell them what you shared? Because I think people will go, whoa, that was this guy. And now he's this other version of himself. So that Carlissimo was his coach at Seton Hall. What what did you say to him, if you don't mind sharing, and why? Yeah, so going back to, you know, when coach recruited me at Seton Hall and and it's like he literally had recruited the perfect team um, and, and needed me to be for Seton Hall, what my brother w- was, was being for Duke. Um, I mean, we, we basically lived the same life growing up, right? We had the same, we did the same drills. We grew up in the same neighborhood. We played in the same parks. We had the same incredible high school coach. So um, yeah. And, and, you know, my career just, you know, at, at Seton Hall, it just, it, it didn't, it didn't go like that. Um, you know, I, I wasn't ready for, um, I wasn't who he needed me to be as a player, as a point guard, as a leader. Um, and I had a chance if I was that person um, at that point in career, my off the court was a mess. I, I was, I was, I was drinking a lot. Uh, I wasn't committed to the game. I was a screw up in the classroom. Um, I, I really, my, my, my table wasn't very balanced. I, I my everything was a mess. Um, yeah. And PJ needed me to be, to be more like my brother. And if he got that, that was a national championship team. I mean, we, we were, we were a two seed in the NCAA tournament, you know, even with me as a mess off the court. Um, but it was like, two lottery picks, another NBA draft pick, uh, another guy that goes on to play 12 years in the NBA. I mean, I was literally, you know, the missing piece on that team. Point guard was the, was the issue. And uh, like that haunted me for a lot of years. PJ moved on. He moved on to the NBA. I finished my career playing for another coach at Seton Hall. So he left before, you know, I, gave him really anything. I mean, I didn't give him anywhere close to the best version of me, um, you know, before he headed to the NBA. And we didn't have much interaction after that. Um, You know, I was embarrassed, plus Ed blaming him, you know, like in my mind, it was, it was PJ. The system was wrong. Um, You know, I wasn't playing in the right offensive system. I wasn't being used correctly. I mean, it probably took me until like my thirties to realize how much of a mess I was in my twenties or my late teens. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, like, no interaction or not much. And then um, when I get back into college coaching, he actually, I hadn't had a conversation with him maybe in, like, 15, 18 years. And, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, like, long time. And uh, so he's the former head coach at Wagner College, right, before yeah. before he goes to Seton Hall. So I've got to kind of call him first time in 18 years uh, and ask him to call Wagner on my behalf. Oh. The, the AD oh. and the president, because there's no bigger deals at Wagner College than PJ Carlissimo. Um, so that kind of like reconnected us and we had a, a pretty lengthy phone conversation and he actually like pulled some strings and helped me get that first college gig. And then we stay in touch a little bit over the course of, you know, the next like 10 years between me now starting this year's NCAA tournament and Ed, like in the back of my mind, I think about him a lot and I have a lot of regrets about my career that haunts me a lot. So um, I get out to Albany and like we're playing Iona and Rick Pitino and like our, our last two trips to the NCAA tournament and they ended first round exit Maryland, New Mexico State the next year, first round exit. Mm. UConn's not thrilled with me. <laughs> but, right. you know, I've long since turned off my notifications on Twitter for when, <laughs> I when folks are pissed off at me here in, yeah. in the great state of Connecticut. But you know, it's a pressure cooker going into that first round game against Iona. I'm in Albany. Rick Patino's over there. You know, all the yeah. prognosticators are talking about, you know, this guy's flamed out first round two years in a row. And you know, the big bad Rick Pitino's coming. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, well, and now I've got PJ, who's like sitting next to me, like on the court, this kind of figure from my past that I'm like you know, <laughs> kind of emotional with. Um, but so he's there, man, like first round into the round of 32. I'm doing like pregame interviews with him on the radio and I'm getting – choked up in every one of them and and I'm crying like a baby. Wow. Like every one of them just kind of hours before the game. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Cause and and um just the sight of them and just how much emotion from what that time felt like. The, the reminder of of just I, mean, I had some dark times at, at Seton Hall as a player man. Uh you know points that you know, deep depression, thoughts of, you know, of suicide and, and worse, um, you know, that playing for him kind of, I think, brought up in that time. And then, you know, it just became incredibly cool, man. Now you're in Vegas, Sweet 16, the team's playing great. We're blowing these teams off the court. And now I'm like having conversations with them, like, hey, coach, I'm sorry. By the end, man, you get to Houston. And by the end, like, you're hanging out with your coach and you're by the end of those interviews, man, like you're just, you're not crying. It's more like you're proud of your journey. It, those are like therapy sessions where I got a chance really? to like cry a lot of shit out. Man. Wow. Wow. Even now I'm kind of looking at you. You look a little different than you did earlier. It's still, still yeah. there. Yeah. But man, I mean, he, uh, you know, it's like, Part of what hurt me a little bit in college was 
when you play for a high school coach who's as incredible as my dad, you almost got to college practices and like you're finishing the sentence of your coaches. Mm. Like I played for such a master in college. It was almost like hard for me, you know, to get that from any other coach I play for. Cause my dad was, he was at such a level. Um, yeah. So I got to tell you, it's interesting watching him. I, some of you that are listening to audio, you should see his face. And, uh, you know, I'm 52, and I could have given more in college. I have a recurring nightmare about three times a year to this day. Um, I talk about when I go talk to college teams. I held a little bit in reserve hmm. in college. And here I am, whatever the good things are that happened in my life, if you flip the camera on, I've been in interviews, I look a lot like you look right now. And it just, the reason that's valuable, maybe my favorite part of our interview is because the one thing you don't want to ever have in life, everybody, is a regret about effort, a regret about commitment. If if you give everything to something and it doesn't work out, you kind of live with that a little bit. But when you know you left something in the tank, you know you let teammates down or family down. I don't think any amount of winning anywhere else completely makes up for it at any time in your life. And I'm watching this man who's at the top of his craft. He's number one in the world at what he does. And still, shoulders hunched over, the face changed um his head shaking you know it's it's an emotional thing when you're when you don't give your best to something and in a lot of things in life you don't get a second chance mm. and that includes your marriage if it's not going well maybe you shouldn't quit on it so soon maybe make another run maybe it's as a dad or a mom maybe it's in your business you know maybe there's something you know you could be given more to you don't want to get to the end of your life and run out of time because he can't go back and play college basketball i can't go back and play college baseball at some point you'll be able to play your life again and you don't want to get out of this thing with that feeling for eternity, right? You want to get out of this thing having given it. So I really appreciate you sharing that, Coach. Yeah. You want to say you were you were going to say something extra there? I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, that's where you you see. I mean, that the um, you know, for the the frustrating part, the probably the haunting part is when when you know the commitment that you made just to get to that point. I mean, the the the. The things that me and my brother did, the commitment on a daily basis and the way, you know, that my dad pushed us from mm -hmm. such a young age. When you're talking about, you know, my brother is 5'11", five, you know, never dunked the ball in college, um, you know, but is maybe the greatest point guard in the history of college basketball. It probably isn't, shouldn't even be a maybe, but he's the most decorated college basketball point guard of all time. All-time assist leader, two chips. Seventh pick in the draft at 5'11", 160. I mean, that's the type of people that my dad raised in terms of yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, unbelievable. What, what he what you know what he pushed us to do, you know, in terms of sacrificing um, a, a lot of other things in your pursuits, you know, like understanding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the thing that you want to build your life around. You know, for us, I think. You know, my, my, my dad understood, um, you know, that if he raised us a certain way, I mean, that the standards were were so incredibly high and it wasn't exclusive to basketball. I mean, it was, you know, if you got a, a test or a quiz, um, you know, that had something maybe with a seven in front of it, you know, like 75, you know, mm -hmm. forget failing something. I mean, I listen, we didn't have to get straight A's or or. or, mm -hmm. or or all 90s if you're a little kid, kid. Yeah. but like man i was scared to death if that thing said 71 hmm. um do you, you think know? when he held you to that standard that 
because I think holding someone high stakes. I want to ask you about this since you're on that. I think there's a hidden message when you hold someone to a super high standard, which is the hidden message in it is, I believe in you. I think you're capable of this. And that's why I think holding high standards not only transforms an organization, but it can transform a person that it says that you're this amazing. This should be the standards you can perform at and live at. I think that's one of the hidden things about high standards. You agree with that? Yeah, I think you're, you know, you, you've got to be ruled by, um, you know, by your internal, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the external stuff, it, it's just, it's not going to do it. I mean, I'm looking out the window of the banner, you know, I see, do we, we got five banners. I could see the 2023, but it doesn't feel the same way as it did when I first saw it. Hmm. Right. Like, and, and if you're not driven by like the, the level of your work, um, you know, the, 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 that feeling, I think uh, that gets instilled in you that like, like everything that I'm going to do, like I'm going to do, I know like, it sounds simple, but like everything that we ever did, like, you know, it, it had to be at our absolute best level. Um, you know, it, if we, we would never the, like do as a kid in, you know, we were in Sunday mass and, you know, me and Bob were, were, were talking during a homily, like, you know, like, <laughs> like we couldn't act like, like uh, we couldn't be neighborhood, like neighborhood asshole kids, you know, yes, like, yes. like we had to be respectful of our teachers. We had to be, like respectful of older guys in the neighborhood that we can learn something from. Like we had to do well and, you know, we had to do all of our homework. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't have to be the smartest guy, but the effort always had to be great, right? The, you know, the, uh, the, the end product didn't always have to be, you know, the A plus game, but your, the effort that you put into the outcome had to be done a certain way. Um, and my dad trained us incredibly well and it, you know, it's, 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 it's sprung into every aspect of, of, of friendships, relationships, right? Everything. It's not just as a basketball coach. I got, I want to ask you two things before we finish, because I've thought a lot, I want to go back for a second. I've thought a lot about when I was there, why I didn't give full effort. And I, I don't know if you have, but I did. And I'm not sure I'm right about this, but I think like your dad held you to these standards, right? I think part of that was you knew he believed in you. Maybe you never got all the accolation or admiration or whatever from him, but the hidden message is we don't act like other families in church. We don't do this stuff. We're not just everybody else, right? That's the hidden message. We're not better, but we're not like that. You know, we gotta we we conduct ourselves a certain way, our preparation, our effort. And when I got to that next level, if I look back on it, and I, I want to ask you this because I think this is what most people struggle with at every aspect of their life. I've really unpacked it. Like, why? By the way, and you wouldn't know if you watched me that I wasn't given full effort. I, I'm still there pretty early. I still took extra BP. I was still in the gym. But I knew there was a level of preparation and focus and my diet, my nutrition. Why didn't I? Because I knew I was on limited time. I knew I only had the four years back then. Why didn't I? And I think if I'm being honest, when I got to that next level, there was a small part of me that did not believe I was good enough at that level. That when the level changed, when the demand changed, and this could be the level of, look, you're making 80,000 bucks a year, and now you're making 200, and you could go to a million, right? But for me, if I really unpack it, and I'm honest as a 52-year-old man, and I look back, 
there was a little bit of me that wasn't sure I was that good at that level. And I think somehow that caused me to either sabotage it or hold a little reserve or have an excuse or blame other people. And the level change caused a slight, I mean, just minuscule lack of belief that ended up in this effort that was 99.8% or whatever it was of what I could have given. What do you think about that? Boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boom, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and I think it, you feel that. And maybe that's why um, this approach that I've taken in, in coaching has been so uh, um, maniacal in a way, or maybe even over the top in terms of commitment and obsessed with life hacks and, and little tiny advantages because, um, you know, I blew it as a, as an athlete when I got to that, that big stage and I was afraid and the self-doubt was there. And I wanted to have the excuse that I shared with you, like mm -hmm. my off the court was a mess, right? I, my, I, I didn't have, you know, meaningful relationships. I was a, I was a, I was a struggling student that didn't go to class. I mean, I had all those built-in excuses, yeah. um, it, but I do think, and, and I suffered a lot in my career. I mean, you know, my failure because of my inability to, to even try to be at my best. I mean, it, it put me into the darkest places where that you can get to. And it, it, trust me, it's hard for a Hurley um, to be that vulnerable back then in like the mid to early nineties. I mean, Brene Brown wouldn't run around talking about vulnerability much, right? There weren't many like Brene, yeah. you know? And so back then, like Dan Hurley quit the team because of mental health. I mean, like it took some, you know, it took a little bit of something to be able to kind of step away and understand that I was in a, the danger zone of maybe, um, you know, potentially committing suicide is where I got to wow. when, when stuff got real bad because of, the bubbling feeling of regret. Um, but I'm also at, I'm pouring all of that into, into my coaching career. That's why I think, you know, you, um, and, and the day that I can't, I will not linger. You know, once I get past this level of, uh, of energy commitment, the, the desire to, to learn and grow and improve and master every aspect and give every one of these players, every single thing I got. Once I want to be on the golf course, instead of being in a gym, once, like once I would rather be somewhere else than not on the court with my guys on that. I've enjoyed this so much. I really do not want it to end. Um, <laughs> it's flown by for me. So I, I, um, win another national championship and come back on next year. So we can talk about that. Will you please do that? Recurring guest, right? I go, uh, we're yeah. in the mix for six, right? We want, you know, strived for five last year. We feel like we got the team that's uh, that's in the mix for number six here. And and I become a recurring guest whenever I win it, I'm, I'm back. Okay, well, you don't have to win, but I want to throw that out there because then, because I know you really need that incentive to do it, coach. I know that'll get you up a little bit extra early tomorrow to go, what's on the line here is not the, the alumni, the boosters, my legacy, my players' lives. It's I can get back on Ed Milet's show. Wow, this is this is going get to get you up earlier. Ed, it's guys like, it's people like you, uh, like we don't, you know, um, this is like I'm a byproduct in terms of the the, the leader that I try to be and, and what we try to accomplish. It's it's like 
it's um, you know it, it's the books and and the content of things that you put out either on social or or what you write or or or, or what you put out in terms of podcasts that like help create the the mindset the mentality like it doesn't happen by accident it's like it's listening um, and reading the stuff that guys like you you know produce helps put me in a position to do this so man I, I appreciate you having me on man. Thank you, brother. I want to ask you one last question. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, ironically, you just did it here today. This has been a master class. Like, to be really honest with you, uh, I'm probably going to let my son hear this one before it comes out because it's 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 a master class on getting it. You guys, you just got an hour with the best of the best in the world at what he does. He, I mean, you don't often get in the brain and the heart of somebody that performs at this level in their prime. Like he said, you get them 15 years later when they write a book about what they used to do. But to be able to get them in the midst of doing it is incredibly rare and uh, not something I take for granted. The last question is about pressure because of what you just said. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it for the players and for yourself? And do you feel it? You just won a national championship. You know, you guys finish fourth in the Big East or something next year. That's probably not going to cut it. So do you feel pressure? Is it healthy? Um, do you turn it into something? How do you deal with that for you or your players? Yeah, I mean, I feel, um, I mean, I, I feel incredible pressure to win every game. Um, you know, I think that, you know, your 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 physiology, your 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 emotions. I mean, your 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 mental health during the course of like the five month season, man, the roller coaster ride. You you, you again, like your foundation better be strong because. Um, you know, you're, you're under intense scrutiny. You're under, um, you know, intense criticism when it's going bad, but far, far greater than that is like this competitive animal that you have inside you that just, you know, I feel like I coach every game. Like I've never won a game. You know, I coach, I got two chips on my shoulder when I'm coaching. I don't have one. Um, part of it is, I was a high school coach for nine years while a lot of the people that I'm now competing with uh, were, were coaching at the level that I'm at right now, you know? So, um, you know, when I was coaching at a much lower level, you know, these guys were at the top of the sport. Now I'm at the top of the sport with them and I want to prove that I'm better. Um, that to me uh, as a competitor, I think about that uh, all the time. I want to be better than the other guy. Um and, you know, for me, in terms of overall, like I almost the analogy, I think for me is like I almost feel like a batter that is trying to hit through the cycle with his career. And, and I feel like I got the triple, you know, like there's a lot more that I want to do. I want to win. I want to win more of them. I want to win the conference championships. I want to finish number one in the country. I want to keep putting players in the, in the lottery in the NBA draft. I want to. I want, I want my assistant coaches to become head coaches. I mean, I, I want to be like the program in college basketball over the course of the next, you know, bunch of years. So in doing that right now, I feel like I hit the triple. Home runs out there, the double, the single, but the triple's the hardest one to get, man. Yeah, you got the one. Getting that first one, man, I, I feel like, you know, my my my, my confidence in, in what we do is, is going to make – me and make us harder to beat from here on out. It, it's not going to win us anything, mm. but our belief here at UConn basketball, it, 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 we show up in a certain way where we look 
I think, already, like we believe, but our belief in what we do is, is higher now. Yeah, well, it's been validated. Your system, your processes, your preparation, your style, everything, your culture, your standards, your identity, it's been validated. And now it's just a matter of running up the score. I got to tell you, Dan, I enjoyed today just so much. I not only admire you, I really like you. And um, I told you this off camera, if there's anything I can ever do for you, brother, I'm a, I'm a real fan of you. And I'm rooting for UConn. I'm rooting for your family. I'm rooting for your players. And I'm rooting for you. So thank you for today. Well, I appreciate you, man. This was awesome. It was awesome. All right, everybody. Hey, share this episode. You just listened to one of the greats in their prime, like in the midst of what they're doing. And um, I have a funny feeling we're having him back next year because we got one thing he's got to do to do it, but I got a feeling it's coming back. All right, everybody. God bless you. Max out your life. This is the Ed Milet Show.